Move Against Cancer podcast. We are your hosts, Gemma Hillier Moses, Move Charity founder, lover of all things running, travel, and tea. And I'm Lucy Gossage, oncologist, outdoor adventure lover, and 5K UA co founder. I'm Georgie Freeman, lover of exploring new places and the 5K UA manager. The reason we originally set up this podcast was to inspire and support and empower people to move and live an active and fulfilling life despite a cancer diagnosis. In this podcast, we want to share the stories of ordinary people doing incredible things as they find their own way to move against cancer. Going through cancer treatment can feel incredibly isolating and lonely. There's so much behind every individual cancer journey and so much of it is unseen and often unspoken. We want to explore the ways that our guests navigate their way through the unimaginable. And we hope that by doing this, we can provide you with some tips, some tools and some inspiration to make your journey that little bit easier. We'll cover every aspect of living with and after cancer, from physical and psychological well-being, identity, goal setting, mindset, staying active, grief and loss, family and friends, and so much more. We will make you laugh, but we also may make you cry. But we guarantee that you'll take something away from every single episode. So we do really hope that you enjoy listening. Welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast. My name is Gemma Hillier Moses. I am the founder of Move Charity. And as you probably all know from this podcast, lover of all things adventure, reading, running, and a good cup of tea. So if you want to be inspired to try something new or sign up for a new challenge and an adventure, this is the episode for you. This is a story of one incredible lady, Kat Cordiner, who was part of a team of two other inspiring ladies to row the Atlantic Ocean in 42 days, seven hours and 17 minutes in a new world record, while also having to deal with being diagnosed with cancer. This is a story of overcoming challenges, the power of the mind, working as a team, breaking down barriers, and the importance of living in the moment. I'm excited for you to tune into this one. Welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast. We are delighted to have Kat with us as a guest today. Welcome, Kat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited to be talking to you about your journey, your story, and just the amazing challenges um, that you've been doing recently. Um, So first of all, what I'm going to start off with, I started to ask this question. um, I listened to a podcast called The High Performance Podcast, and they often ask um, their guests the question of what does high performance mean to you? So I wanted to ask our guests um, on the podcast, what does moving against cancer mean to you? Um, so for me, I think, you know, exercise is, we all know for our mental health, um, let alone physical health is super important. And I think, you know, when I sort of undertook treatment for the second time, um, when cancer came back, I think you have these images of, you know, I'm not going to be able to do anything. That's sort of the end of, of life as we know it in a way. And I kind of wanted a challenge, uh, and to do something that would kind of prove that you can still do a ton of stuff even though you're having treatment or even if you've got cancer so I think what does it mean for me it's exactly that which is you know despite the fact that you're having treatment despite the fact that you know whatever journey you're on with cancer you can still move and be active Um, and so that kind of led to you know my challenge that I took part in. That's amazing and so Let's go into that. So three rowers, 3,000 miles, one ocean, one cancer diagnosis and a world record. Like where did that all begin? Um, so I guess the, the the simple story of how it all began really was, was pre my first cancer diagnosis. Um, I took part in the Clipper Around the World Yacht Race um and as part of that I sailed across the North Pacific and on my boat I sailed with a girl called Abby who is one of my fellow crewmates and that I rode with and when we'd finished all of our our kind of the piece of the boat that we were doing we got to Seattle and somebody always said when you finish these things everyone kind of goes well what next because they're quite big, they're quite life-changing for for some people. And so what's next? And Abby said, I've always wanted to row the Atlantic. And I said, 
okay. Um, I'm in. Um, never, never rode before in my life. I just figured, yeah, why not? And we talked about it a lot. And then not long after, so that was the, that was sort of around April. And then, you know, fast track sort of eight months and I had my first cancer diagnosis. And after going through treatment, still talking about this row, um, I finally said, enough's enough. Either we're doing it or we're not, but we can't keep talking about it. And so um, literally, um, I guess, sort of four months after being in remission, we filled in the application form. Um, we were two at the time. Um, it was myself and Abby. And yeah, we applied. Uh, and then um, Abby and, and Charlotte had been talking about, I think, the rowing thing on and off over a number of years. And, and she became the, the third member. Amazing. And did you... Because you had your treatment and were diagnosed with cancer, did you, um, when you said about the challenge, did you have any pushback from consultants or was it an easy conversation or were they like, what are you doing? That's like to have that <laughs> idea in your head and when did the training start for it? Yeah, definitely a what are you doing. So um, so we signed up in Feb um, and in June I found out the cancer had come back and it had spread and you know, I was was undergoing chemo, um, still training throughout. And I think there was no like pushback per se, but it definitely people were like, are you mad? But to be fair, everyday people say, are you mad? <laughs> you know, I don't think it's it's um it's just the the consultants, but I do recall that when I um so in between chemotherapy and radiotherapy I was having a scan and um I remember my uh, oncologist said to me you know oh um you need to go and see a cardiologist because when they were doing one of the scans saw a bit of a I don't know uh something in my heart and I ended up this week of crazy weeks of scans heart scans um ECG for 24 hours etc all of this and the, the cardiologist said to me, it's basically like one of one of three things. So it's either, you know, your cancer that's spread, but it's a bit strange because it would be quite far away from where they've seen it so far spread. Um, it could be, um, what's one of the other things? I forget now. And the final thing was, well, be really unlucky um, and lightning struck twice, but it could be, you know, something called a, um, a myxoma, which is quite rare. Um, and, and it turned out to be a myxoma. And when he told me that, the first thing I said was, can I still row an ocean? And, and he was just like, of course, that's your first question. So, I mean, I think there are times where people are like, okay, that seems, and that was important because having heart surgery, obviously that's around, you know, your rib cage, et cetera. Um, yeah quite vital for rowing um so it was a very real concern for me um but I think on the whole most of them are just like talk to me about this um it sounds crazy um no one ever said no um so that was a good thing giving you like not giving you permission but actually not preventing you from from doing it so take yeah. us back I know before we started the podcast we spoke about how exercise during your treatment was game changing and when you couldn't do it during radiotherapy you found it really difficult has exercise always played an important part of your life and like did you were you able to during treatment just make your own decisions on actually that's quite important or you know because it can be quite daunting to think oh I'm going to move during cancer treatment when actually a lot of people tell you to sit still and not doing anything yeah. So I think it's always been a big part of my life. Um, you know, I grew up dancing was my thing. And, and I guess athletics, I was good at running. Um, but I've always enjoyed sport. Um, and over the years, I've kind of liked climbing stuff like Killy. I did the three peaks in 24 hours um, and some random places in, in Guatemala. So I've always enjoyed being outdoors and, and moving. Um, and I think during chemo, it was one of those things where I was like, do I just do nothing? 
And I was already a bit miffed at the fact that I would be sat still like for about, I was 10 to 12 hours for my key sessions. And I mean, I hated it. It was such, you know, just being sort of in one spot for such a long time. Um, So I think, you know, moving gave me purpose. Like I always uh, did a training session before I I went and sat down for, for 10 hours um in hospital and yes I had to change and modify um what I did because obviously depending on where you are in the cycle you can be absolutely shattered or you know if you're having steroids I sometimes felt like I had more energy to lift than I did previously but um I think it was just about making people aware of you know if I went to a boxing class I'd be like listen you know, normally you'd be telling me, you know, crack on and giving me all that. What I'm telling you is I'm not slacking. I'm having treatment. So I may not have the energy that I would normally have. So I think as having those conversations with people at, at gyms or for various classes was was really useful. Um, I think they were a bit concerned about having somebody that was, you know, because I think it's unusual for a lot of them to come across someone in a class going well do you have any illnesses or any injuries and you're like well yeah can we just talk prior to the class so um I think as long as you you're up front with you know where whatever it is that you're doing um I did tell my oncologist that I was training and stuff and you know as I say she was very okay as long as I wasn't going ridiculous um and so yeah I just had to scale back really but but still moving, still getting the steps in, you know, every day, um, which I found really useful as well, just sort of being outdoors and seeing some sunshine occasionally. That's amazing. And I think um, when you said not going crazy, but then you were diagnosed cancer again and then decided to row, <laughs> naturally not being a rower before. And what I've read when I was doing a bit of research on you, it's basically two hours of rowing, one hour off, but for 18 yeah. hours a day, for 42 days, seven hours and 17 minutes. So smashing yeah. the previous world record by seven days, not seven minutes, seven <laughs> days. Absolutely insane. So when you talk about, did you did you have treatment after that second cancer diagnosis and then you had to manage treatment while training into the challenge? How did that work and look like? Yeah. So, um, I basically from June of 2019 through to, I guess it was end of May, June of 21. Um, I was having treatment or recovering from surgery um, from heart surgery and so I yeah trained throughout chemo couldn't train throughout radiotherapy I went back to training a little bit but only legs after heart surgery um, and even that was after about a month um, of, of rest uh, and then kind of went back into full training from June 21 and then obviously we, we left end of November 21 for for La Gomera so a a condensed training period more condensed than I would have liked um and I was worried that I wouldn't be up 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 to it I guess and that I wouldn't you know I was worried about letting my teammates down um but the body is incredibly adaptive um and you know I think the one thing I learned one of the things I learned on the row is that it's physically exhausting, but I would often say, and my oncologist said that I shouldn't say this because it's it's not a good rap for for uh, radiotherapy. Um, but I genuinely felt like daily radiotherapy was was worse than the row, um, to be honest, because I think you know there's that that, that daily onslaught of and it takes up so much time, radiotherapy as well. Um, but just that sort of daily onslaught and your body is just not enjoying it whatsoever. And the row was a bit like that, really, you know, sort of rowing and your body is absolutely shattered. But it's just that mindset to go, 
right, I just get these two hours done. And then as you said, we have an hour off and then you're back on again. And it's just, it's just all about getting through that next, you know, that next two hours, then it's an hour off and then it's like another two hours. And, and then before you know it, you're so many days down. And that to me was how radiotherapy played out as well. You know, it's always about one down. Okay, tomorrow, another day, I'm up doing my prep. I'm at the hospital, you're doing it, it's done, you're back home. It's it's just that, you know, you sort of, you plough on, don't you, I think, through, through treatment because you've got that target mindset of what's next. And rowing felt very similar to that. Um, albeit I didn't have to row when I was having radiotherapy, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think, though, that that comparison is so some people say that you learn an awful lot about yourself and sometimes the people around you when you've been diagnosed with cancer and you're going through treatment and actually do you think the journey through radiotherapy and treatment helped you to cope better with the challenge of and that mindset because some people say actually mentally they may have not been prepared when they do big challenges because they haven't maybe been to the darkest of places mentally and physically whereas when you have already it makes when going through a tough time in the challenge not easier but a bit like you can cope with it better yeah no I I really agree and and actually the girls um said to me as well when I was talking about like oh I don't want to let you down am I going to be physically fit and they were said out of all of us like mentally you'll probably be the strongest and I do think that you know that's not to say I didn't cry my eyes out you know periodically throughout the first 10 days we all did as we kind of went what are we doing yeah um, I can imagine <laughs> you, know, you sort of start to realize this is what it this is what we've got to deal with for the next however many days but I do think there's you know a, a mental strength that comes through having to to endure a diagnosis the treatment and then whatever that diagnosis might mean for you and I think it helped. Absolutely, it helped. Um, and because you think, well, at the end of the day, this is a, a period of time um, that I'm going to be going through this. And, and that's that whole point around it's just breaking it down into chunks. Like, I'll get to the end of this shift and then I get to eat some food, some chocolate, whatever's fun. Um, it, particularly for me, because during radiotherapy, because I was having it, it's across the, the pelvic area. Um, you know, I was on a very strict diet to reduce, you know, bloating, gas, all of that good stuff. So I didn't get to eat a lot of fun stuff. And um, I really reveled in it on the road. You know, it was chocolate crisps, you name it, get it in. So, yeah, I, I do think it helped um, a lot, in fact. It was actually, I was looking at one of your photos on Instagram and I've got such a sweet tooth and I saw the bowls of sweets and I was like, oh, that could tempt me into a challenge if you can just keep handing, getting those each day because I could imagine how many calories you burn and how much you need to kind of refuel that. It's you crazy. You do. I think it's an interesting one. I mean, I didn't take enough chocolate and I am a chocolate fiend. Um, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a real mix between needing sort of calories that have you know that are, are nutritionally dense um plus sometimes you just need the sugar high um particularly on on night rows um when it's dark and sometimes wet and you're on your own you sort of need some sugar to keep you going i can imagine mentally and physically in a way um so I'm the sports sciences of me, like sports scientist in me is really interested about what the training looked like. So we're going to go into the row, what happened, like how you cope with pushing boundaries, the mindset. But I'd love to just going into the challenge, like on a daily basis and a weekly basis. What what was that training? Yeah. So a lot of strength training. So lifting weights um, doing stuff like single plane, um, you know, one one leg other leg um and then rowing on a on an erg on a on a concept two um or other brands out there but um i have a concept two in my flat um and it would be a mixture on the on the rows between kind of an endurance session so a very lengthy time uh, sat on your your bottom um, how long is that how long um so it depends some like couple of hours um 
others you know we sort of built up to longer ones but then also doing quite sort of um faster sessions so looking at going full max effort for short periods of time or doing like kilometer max effort bit of a rest go again um and then finally well the last two bits were i did a lot of work around um joint mobility um because as you can imagine you're sat down um for a lot of the day not great yeah. and then the the most important bit was actually going out on our boat and, and training there so we did i think our longest was 72 hours um on dolly wow. um and sort of getting used to the boat um knowing how you know she sits in the water how you move about where do you want to put stuff how would you you know if you're eating getting used to it sounds silly but trying to cook food you know on a boat it's not it's not like when you're on the river um you know at sea it's very choppy so that was where a lot of the time was spent in terms of training and then that's aside from the actual training in terms of doing the courses on sea survival first aid yeah. navigation etc so yeah it's a real i mean it takes over your life there's no two ways about that i was gonna say that it makes you a very busy lady during that period of time and yeah. i think some people listening um are really inspired by challenges and are quite ready to just go yeah i'm gonna get myself into that because that's the way i live life Others listen to this and go, I wish I could be like Kat or I wish I could be, you know, swimming the channel. And but I but that's just not me and I can't do that. But you so you, it sounds quite matter of fact when you talk about it in terms of we did this, we did the training, like it's kind of a pro, very process driven. But actually, you'd never rode properly before, had you? And like so for you, that must have still been a really daunting task. And so what makes you take that step to do that? What makes you go, okay, I'm going to go from never rowing before to doing this huge challenge that sounds impossible, but you've made it possible. Like what, I guess, what advice would you give and what process did you go through? Um, I guess I just, I've always felt like, like you can do anything if you really want to. And, and I say that and then I qualify it like within reason, but I do genuinely believe like, why not? Um, and you don't have to start with, like, massive things. And I didn't just go, tomorrow I'll row an, an ocean. Like I say, I've climbed Kilimanjaro. Um, I've I've run a marathon. I did the Marathon de Medoc, which is a drinking marathon. Um, Amazing. That's a different one. <laughs> I highly recommend if anybody ever wants to do it. It's running around the, 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 the vineyards in Bordeaux in France uh, in fancy dress. Um, so wow, cool. I, I think, you know, it's, it's about starting with everything. And so even when I said, okay, well, yeah, I, you know, I'll do this cause why not? I did it knowing I had, you know, at the time, uh, well, thought I had two years to train, um, and starting with it, like, you know, go and I, I did a, uh, a class on, um, down at Putney and got in a, in a, in a boat and um I'd already signed up by then and Abby I think said to me like what happens if you don't like it <laughs> and I just said with stuff I'm doing it now so I'm just gonna have to love it you know um but I think you know you can start you don't have to go from zero to a hundred you know you can start what appears to be small like even just walking every day and I say this to a lot of people who are you know, I think we all try to go from nothing to 100 and you can't actually. And, and it, it normally doesn't work that way. So it's about just building the kind of the frequency of things. So it's you know making sure you're going out and walking every day or maybe you want to try and go to the gym and do a class that you like and you do it once a week. Maybe it's twice a week. I think it's just about doing those small steps that then it builds momentum um, and then you sort of start to think, oh, okay, I could maybe do that. Um, I mean, that's the only thing that I look at it and it's how do I get me to being able to row an ocean? And it's okay. I know that I need to build 
my strength. I know I need to get in a boat and sort of learn how to row. I know that I need to, you know, improve my mobility, my shoulders, my hips. So what can I start doing to do that? And I think it's just those little bits that then, you know, two years later, you're at the start line in Lagomera going, what are we doing? And I think as well, people, like you say, it's an absolute incredible journey. And you you do normalise it in terms of actually it is that first step. It's not, doesn't take somebody, like we're all human beings, we're all normal human beings. And actually you've done something extraordinary, but you started off with just setting some goals, taking a first step, going to rowing. But what I loved is you'd signed yourself up before you'd actually got in a boat kind of thing. And that... Yeah. I think sometimes having, because you've got a purpose then, and I think having a purpose in life is what a lot of people really struggle with. And especially when they're going through a cancer diagnosis and a lot of people living with cancer or a terminal cancer diagnosis and actually really struggling to find that purpose. But actually by signing up for something, you gave yourself those two years of purpose to train for. And I guess do you, do you, it doesn't seem like it at all, you, is fear of failure something that enters your head you I know you said you were worried about not completing it but does that does that resonate with you or bother you or actually you like no I you know I just it's okay if I fail um no definitely have a fear of failure um you know I am I'm probably I, I think sometimes because I grew up with two older brothers I always wanted to do whatever they were doing um I think the sort of competitive nature in me um can be a bit too much sometimes but um no I definitely fear failure and you know I, I the actual row itself for me and you talk about purpose and I, I said this when I was really distraught when we crossed the finish line and you know I really kind of pondered on why that was and I think because this the row gave me purpose during the treatment during everything it was it was just, it was also a distraction, you know, that if anyone, you know, asked me what, how I was or whatever, I could just talk about the row rather than how my bowels are or, you, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever the chat is that, you know, particularly with the daily grind of radiotherapy where it's like, this is like Groundhog Day, you know, and I know they have to ask, I get it, you know, but, yeah. but it just it gave me something else to talk about and it gave me something to to look forward to to say well yeah great I'm doing all of this but I've got to do it because I've got a row and I'm going to do this row and so that purpose was there that then enabled me to get up and say I'm going to go to the gym and I'm approaching this with as much positivity as as I can muster um and I think after it finished you know I did think to myself you know well crap what am I going to do like you know I, I'm not considered curable I am in remission again um but if it comes back well wh what am I going to have that time what what's my what's my goal my purpose then to get through to, to sort of drive drive through treatment and you know the truth is a lot of it is is my friendship group it's um my family and doing fun things but having a goal like that um particularly around being physically you know physically moving was i think you know one of the key drivers in in getting through treatment for me and i feel lost now without one um, yeah and I, I i ponder a lot about well what can I do next? And interesting you say about going from, sort of, you know, doing something big. Part of me is like, well, what can I do that's not a huge two-year kind of, you know, in the making project, but is there something that I can do and set my sight on now that isn't as, as, as major? And, you know, I struggle because I feel like I want to top the last yeah. thing. So, you know, for me now it's about, getting back to the gym, trying to eat well again, because it's important for our bodies and, you know, enjoying time with friends, etc. But in the background, I am plotting, you know, the next thing. 
can't wait to hear what that's about as well eventually once you figure that one out I think um we will come back to because I want to go into detail about actually when you were on the challenge and rowing and the team dynamics but just when when you were chatting there sometimes I definitely found it after I finished my treatment your perspective of life obviously changes and especially when you're told you know, it could be terminal, but you're in remission, how that sits with your mind. We spoke to a few guests on the podcast and it's really hard to navigate day to day on the ups and downs. Sometimes you're fine, you're getting on with your routine. Other times the kind of enormity of it just hits you. And I found that part of me struggled with like the value of life in terms of I just wanted to be constantly doing something because I was like, you only have one life. Like you need to go on all your holidays, all your adventures, you need to do everything. And the reality of that and then having to go back to work after you finish treatment and balance like money, finance, house, living is just really difficult. And I really had to hone in on finding pleasure in the real simple things and having those challenges like you have, like a challenge, like for me, it was my running. I got back to that. But also knowing that I had to live, you don't have to, but kind of had to live day to day life normally because otherwise I can't be just living it. 24 hours as if life's going to end tomorrow because that's not realistic either so do you find that kind of you resonate with that it's it is so difficult I mean I I don't know I think it it is a challenge to live you know with cancer in the sense of to your point it's about the day-to-day and how can you you can't do 100 miles an hour all the time I mean I definitely you know, when I first, when I, when I had my second diagnosis, I was like, why am I even paying into a pension? Yeah. What's that all about? Who cares? But then, you know, there's the hope in you that says I'm going to make it to my, you know, to need my pension. So you're sort of, you're fraught because you're, you're torn between two and, you know, I'll just spend all my money. I was like, yeah. let's just go and buy stuff. And then, you know, but then there's the other bit of you that's like, but that won't be very sensible, will it? Because if you manage to live, you know, however many years, then you'll have no money. And and it's and it is a real kind of, yeah. you know, sort of hard line to to follow. And yeah, I, I definitely have moments where I, I feel, you know, quite kind of at peace and I'm and then I have moments where I'm like, oh my God, actually what am I doing? I'm not I'm not making the most of, of stuff. But to your point, it is about finding finding the balance and and just taking pleasure in you know the here and now. I and mean, I definitely don't stress about stuff as much as I did before. Yeah. And I find that my constant phrase with my mum a lot of the time when she's saying stuff is like, "Yeah, but why are you worrying about it? It's really not a big deal." Like you know, it's like yeah. Just, so I think it's it's changed my mindset a lot in that respect, but. It, it is a challenge. There's no two ways about it. Um, I think only with time um, does does it become easier. But I certainly have, you know, some real real moments where I'm, I cried on the tube on the way home from work the other day. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, things can just trigger you um, that, that you just didn't or wouldn't have thought would trigger you as well. And you sort of have these moments. Because I think the other thing I struggle with is that when you're having treatment and it's all fresh and it's new and everything's going on, like the intensity that people around you want to know how you are, want to be there for you. And it's not to say they aren't normally, but then, you know, for me, the biggest transition was when treatment sort of finished and when, you know, I was in remission again. Everyone's like, oh, great. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. But, you know, as my oncologist says, it doesn't change my prognosis, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's not just that that finishes for the individual. It's only then that I think you actually then start mentally processing or sort of trying to get your head around what's happened. Because, you know, to the point I made earlier, certainly for me, you know, you're going through treatment and that's what your life becomes about. It's about the appointments. It's about knocking another session off. It's about, so it's always about this. It's about this. It's the next scan. It's the, and then when it finishes, I mean, then you go into the whole, you know, I'm getting scanned every three months and then you have the panic pre-scan. 
but but it's all of that finishes and then the kind of the, the bustle around you dissipates and you know it's like it never happened yeah and then I think that's what I struggle with the most is that and it can be people talking about you know kids and well you know I really want kids and blah 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 and you sort of sit in there just going okay you know but for me that that means something very different and so that's the bit where I've I think struggled is is that's dissipated and then you're left in this day-to-day as you said trying to work out how to balance between going 100 miles an hour versus you know maybe 20 25 um, yeah. and then the hustle and bustle dissipates and people just forget that it ever really happened to you um, yeah. and I, I find that a strange thing to deal with and I think what adds to that as well is the pressures of social media and I think that you know reality of life for somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer and your perspective is completely different however the stress is like you were saying of you know I look at Instagram and it's it's full of like children like pregnancies like everything homes all of that sort of stuff and it's a lot of it's like giving you the perception that this order is how you live your life. And I read something about that this morning that, you know, society perceives it should be this, this and this. But I definitely know my perspective as I question and I go quite deep in my thoughts of what do I really want? And sometimes I can be influenced by social media and then have to really come back to myself and say, but actually that might be the life that's great for somebody else, but I can't have that life. And I've got to start working mentally on being okay with that and having other things that I want to do. Because I think that's where having cancer does make you think differently. And maybe deeper, which doesn't feel nice sometimes because you're like, I don't want to think deeply. I just want to crack on with it. But you have to. And that's probably a good thing as well. You know, it's funny because I, you know, when I first was diagnosed with cancer, I was more upset about not being able to carry a child that I was the cancer diagnosis like I genuinely the bit that I for me the cancer was like right not ideal but fine like we'll crack on we're going to sort that out but the bit that I was so distraught about was around not being able to carry a child and and a lot of that was because at the time they were talking about doing surgery which potentially could have left me with a wound um but actually it was you know the tumor was too large anyway so had to have everything out but I was distraught and it was really interesting because you know to your point my my mum said to me well you know you can always adopt and I was like huh says everybody that can have kids yeah you know and it really used Mm. to grind on me Mm. and there's nothing absolutely it's true can adopt there's plenty of children out there that don't have you know families that love them and that need a home but I really rallied against it I was so I was so annoyed and I think it's because to your point as well I think how you grow up with the kind of the the Disney films of you know there's a prince charming and they're going to ride in on a horse and save you kind of vibe and then you know yeah you have these you have kids and that this is what you're taught growing up is what life looks like yeah and that sat with you for you know for my case I was 30 eight then nine so sat with you for that number of years and I wanted a family and then somebody just comes along it's like well okay I see that you've got that idea but by the way that's not happening not the way that you thought it would and you know even now I, I question so the first time I had cancer I said well afterwards you know I did freeze my eggs and I said well I'm gonna have a child I'm gonna have it on my own um and I'll do it once I'm two years clear um obviously I never made it two years clear and you know I've had to kind of really wrestle with the fact that kids you know are probably going to be off the agenda for me in a way certainly nothing I would do on my own because anything happened to me you know who who's going to then look after them it would be incredibly selfish um and it and it is just challenges your beliefs really as to to what life was going to look like And that's a really difficult thing to get your head around. Um, And I think the challenge is that you've, someone's told you that up front, you know, whereas some people, even myself, I mean, I could get run over by a a bus tomorrow, 
you know, but if that happened, I mean, it would be done. But it's, it is challenging when someone's telling you, yeah, actually, you know, <laughs> you might have a period of time left, but it's just not going to be in the way that you thought it was. And I think it, it's hard to get your head around, um, to be honest. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, what you're saying resonates with me massively. And I think it's not talked about enough either openly because I, I do, you know, I've not actually spoken to anyone I know who's been in similar situations to us by having a cancer diagnosis who have really gone into detail about your thoughts around that. And I think it's, yeah, it's really difficult because it challenges your past beliefs, it challenges your current perspective, it challenges your future, which you don't know, it's like uncertain. And actually you know how do you even come to a place where you feel settled with that and it's unlikely that you will because it will just be up and down different days will feel feel different and my husband always says to me um he's always like how have you lived the last have you been happy the last 30 years of 33 years of your life and I'm like yes obviously there's been ups and downs he's like well can you be happy without a child for this amount and I was like well yes but <laughs> so it's like you know when you the different mindsets and then but he hasn't had cancer. So the reality for him is very different. But I think like you say, it's about navigating it through on your own or, you know, with somebody else, but also maybe there's not an answer. There's not a way to figure it out. It just is about, you know, being each day and just trying to make the most of each day and seeing where that leads you sometimes. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think irrespective of cancer diagnosis, I know that, you know, friends of mine who, you know, not married and wanted a family have also wrestled with, you know, so slightly different perspective, but also wrestled with, well, I'm 41 already. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of likelihood of having a child of my own, you know, as I get older is, is going to dissipate. And, you know, how do, how do they been able to get comfortable with the fact that they may not have children? And, and some of that is like, well, actually have a really good time like go on great holidays and you know would I've been able to have done you know do keep doing things like the row or something else you know if you've got a young baby in tow maybe not so much but um so I think everyone has those moments I think yeah. I think it's really hard for women um to be honest particularly with kids um and I think just because there's a natural perception that that's kind of part of being a woman right is you're gonna yeah. have kids so I think there's that natural uh social um portrayal of, a, of 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 what women should do um but I I do think it is challenging um you know that sort of perception versus reality and and to your point I don't think you ever really maybe find you know peace with it per se I just think it's about living with the day-to-day and being happy and seeing what happens you know uh, yeah and I, I've I've had so many of these conversations recently because I you know I listen to a lot of podcasts around business women in business role models like you know people who've got kids haven't got kids how the future looks like but the one thing I always come back to is when you get any of those anxieties and it's not just around having children it could be around life going on holidays and you're cracking on with work get off social media be present and your mind ends up so much more settled and just yeah. I think it like sometimes when you're just on social media or you're like reading the news constantly and you've just got all this noise going on even sometimes from friends and family just sometimes yeah. being with yourself and you know sitting there and just relaxing can really help you to just be present and focus on what's today which makes then that you know you're not overthinking constantly then as well. It's, yeah, I mean, social media is such a two-pronged thing, isn't it? You know, on the one hand, it's been amazing for yes. enabling yeah. people to connect. And, and equally, like, I follow um, people that have been undergoing cancer treatment, et cetera. And, you know, I think it, it, it gives you access to, um, to a lot more people and to things that are out there, which is great. But yeah. to your point, on the flip side you do see elements and a lot of the time most people are putting on the, the kind of the, the good bits. Um, and then you've also then sort of, you're looking at these lifestyles of people who, you know, it's not what you potentially have um, open to you. And I think it just can create 
a lot of, well, I don't have that. And then you start focusing on what you don't have as opposed to what you do have. Yeah. So my sort of, I try now to think more around when I go down that route of, and it's hard, you know, when friends tell you like I'm having a child and you're like, you are so happy for them. But inside, mm. like, really, why not? Why, why can't I have that? Yeah. Um, and that's natural. But I think, you know, and, and social media does that to us because you see all this stuff and you're like, well, I, I don't have that. I don't have that. And so it's really about focusing on what do I have? You know, I get up in the morning. I'm, I have a family that love me. Some people don't even have that, you know, yeah. and I'm really blessed that I do have those things. So I think it's also just changing that mindset to the, you know, grateful for what you do have rather than focusing on the, on the what you don't. Yeah, and a lot of it is about, you know, psychologists will tell you, it's about the narrative that you tell yourself. It's about the self-talk. It's about what you're, yeah, how you change that narrative from focusing on what you can and what you don't. And I think that some of it's using social media as a tool, because like you said, it can be extremely powerful. So like we're on there as a charity trying to give people all the information and the positivity they need during one of the hardest times of their life. And we find, you know, the connection with people is amazing. But then there are the negatives. So it's like you filtering out what you should be seeing, what you want to see and getting rid of anything that gives you those anxieties or gives you those worries. And I know we can't filter out life like that's just life. You have your ups and downs. Um, But yeah, we definitely should be should be looking at doing that and using it as a positive tool as well. Um, so let's go back to I know we've um, that was a brilliant conversation actually I think those sort of conversations really need to happen because I you know, have been having them a lot recently and it's great to chat to you um, about that area let's talk about the power of teamwork so yeah. you you um, Abby and Charlotte were obviously rowing in the boat for a lot of days for 42 days um, how important was it to gel as a team and how did you do that yeah um, I think, you know, it's funny. I I was talking about this um, the other day at work for an event kicking off in our US office. And, you know, and I, I said, you know, when I crossed the finish line, I wondered, like, how did I get there? You know, you sort of sit there and go, how did we actually get across this finish line? And I would say that sort of resilience was a big part of it. Um, but also um, teamwork, because you can't row... I mean, there's three of you in a boat. I mean, you could row just one person. It would be very difficult because the boat's extremely heavy. Um, but but teamwork was key. And and teamwork was key also because bearing in mind, you know, there was a, quite a significant period where I couldn't train. And then I was like, oh, am I really, you know, am I dragging the team down? Then you sort of learn to play to your strengths. So, for example, amongst the team, the dynamic would be sort of, um, I guess I was probably the most organised, like I, I have to be in my job. So I love the spreadsheet, you know, we've got a plan. We know we need to do stuff. I'm quite happy to, to chase people. Where are you? And follow up on it. Um, Charlotte was really good at social media. So I actually am not on social media that much. Um I think particularly now I've kind of gone a bit the other way, but um, she was great at it and she does marketing. So she sort of ended up doing most of the social media stuff or any copyright that we needed doing. Um, and Abby is a rowing coach. Um, she's the head rowing coach at, at Lady Eleanor Hollis. And she's been on the water, you know, most of her life. So navigation wise as well, she was quite good at that. So she would always arrange like when we were doing a weekend out on dolly she would look at the tides work out like when was a good time to set off kind of look at doing a route um and all of that so as a team we kind of you know we all kind of played to our our strengths um and i think on the boat so i've i know abby through the sailing and I've seen, we've seen each other operate under pressure um, at sea in, in quite rough conditions. So I kind of knew that we would get on because we've been on a boat, which 70 foot yacht is big, but it's not that big when you've got 18 people on it. 
Um, yeah, that's not big at all when you've got that many. No, so um, you kind of used to living in confined spaces and also sleep deprivation, albeit not as bad as the rowing. Um, so kind of knew how that worked. And her and Charlotte have known each other since school. They've rowed together. So I guess for me, sort of go, well, you know, if she's really good friends with Abby, then chances are we're, we're going to get on well. Um, and yeah, just getting together, you know, having tea um, around each other's house while we sort of plan stuff. Um, going out on those training rows on the boat was a really good sort of indicator of how we'd get on in such a small space. Um, okay. And then the, finally is just talking about how are we going to react when you know, everyone's different under pressure and sometimes you just don't know how you're going to be, you know, historically you might act in some way when you're tired and under pressure, but you then can be on this row and you just don't know how you're going to behave. So I think it was the fact that we talked to each other and said, you know, look, if we end up saying anything, are we going to just put that to the back of our mind? You know, we, we're not, if you end up calling me something that I shouldn't, and vice versa, that it's just the stress of the boat. And then we also talked about how, how do we behave when we're under stress so you know Charlotte said well you know if I'm not really feeling it or I'm a bit low then I'll probably be very quiet and I will want to listen to a podcast um or Harry Potter um audio and I just that's supposed to be, to be amazing the Harry Potter audio <laughs> it is although Stephen Fry has some very strange pronunciations of a couple of words to be honest but um so you know, she was like, that's how I want to be. Whereas Abby's more of, um, you know, tell me about the fun that we're going to have when we get to Antigua, you know, we're going to paint our nails, we're going to have a, a glass of bubbles, tell me about those things, etc. So I think just understanding a bit how we all behave and then what do we need? Um, and equally, I think Charlotte and I are both quite tactile and, you know, we would occasionally, if I was, if she was covering, coming off shift and I was going on, you know, we'd have a hug and we'd be like, just nice to have, you know, connection. Um, and, and that kind of was a bit of a boost. So I think it's about just understanding how you perform and how you are if you're upset, if you're angry, and having those kind of rules of the road that, you know, if you're annoyed, then you just have to say like that's annoyed me and you kind of move on and we were like we didn't have any fights on the boat um other boats did have rows and all kinds um but a lot of that is testament to the fact that we knew that we were going to be each other's family for however long we were on that boat so we have to look after each other if we want to get to the other side and our overriding goal was very much we want to break the world record but a lot of that is also dependent on weather but more importantly is that we wanted to get to the other side still being friends yeah so down to having, your values yeah and having that kind of common goal um, I think helped um no end because like you say could you imagine if you've done all of that challenge and come to the end and you hate each other and I think that's a really I think I, from my entrepreneurial kind of business mind that comes into it, like businesses and organizations when looking at teams could learn so much from literally that snippet that you just said there, because what you've basically done is understood each and everyone's behaviors. What works for you? What doesn't work? What makes you thrive? It's like what makes you perform to your highest and when do you need to just take a step back in your own way to then get back on it? And that's so powerful. And I think then you've laid your boundaries down. So you know each other inside out. And then so you're going into that challenge with a lot of trust in each other. Because ultimately, you are putting your life in each other's hands, basically, aren't you? And yeah. you need to know each other inside out. And actually, in work and life, other than even families don't necessarily do that or know each other in that way or have those 
really transparent conversations. I think people are worried and scared about having those transparent conversations, but actually you've proved there by having that and saying, no, I don't work in that way. But if, if, I, if this happens and I'm under high stress, I just need to do this for me. You do what's right for you and then we'll perform together and be friends at the end, which is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it's funny because when you look at, I mean, I have a team at work and, you know, we are all different and there are certain things that, you know, motivate people and it's understanding what's what's the motivation, what's the driver. And to your point, it's those, how do you pick up on, because not everybody is, is going to be verbal about how they're feeling, but what, it's like, if I was if I was upset, how would people know that, cat is upset you know and to be honest my face is you know such an open book annoyingly so could never play poker um because you'd know about it like actually facially and I would tell you because that's how I am <laughs> but yeah. other people withdraw maybe they go very quiet they might not contribute as much you know and it's it's how do you how do you understand those things so that you can spot them you can react to them where required or, as you say, give people space um, or have that chat with them to say, you know, what's going on? Um, but everyone is slightly different. So you kind of need to understand, Yeah, I think, to perform as a team, you need to understand how the individuals work individually and then how do you bring that together to, to thrive as a team? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people can learn from you and your team after do, after doing that successfully. Like you said, there was not, it's not as though there wasn't really tough times and really dark moments, but actually that teamwork really, really paid off. Um, so just before we finish, I've got quick fire questions to finish the podcast because I could actually talk to you for hours, but <laughs> I know you're a busy lady. Um, but have you had a chance to reflect on the challenge? Like, how does it feel now? Yeah. Um... So it's, um, I guess, how does it feel now? I, it feels like it didn't happen, honestly. I, it, it's a very weird thought process where I sometimes just go, wow, we did that. Um, and I, I'm, I guess to your point around normalizing, yeah, I've, I've kind of almost forgotten about it. Um, so I feel like it happened to somebody else in short. And do you get to go and do you get to talk about it in like do you talk about it to on stage or at events? Because I know you had an awards evening last night. Is that something that you're still doing as a team? Um, so yeah, I've done um, I've done a couple with work. Um, I we've got uh, we're speaking at the uh, Times Life Lessons event in September, all three of us, and also for a um, a, a club um a sports club we're doing an engagement for them so yeah we do get to and it is funny when we do it because I think you start to remember stuff um so yeah we are speaking about it um a fair amount so that's been quite good amazing um so let's go on to the quick fire questions I always like to finish with these sometimes they're not quick fire I really I realize that but um why was the boat called Dolly um, long story short, there was a team before us, Atlantic Antics, uh, a female trio who raced in the year before us, and they called it Dolly because Flo um, really liked Dolly, and it's bad form to change the name of a boat, bad luck, um, but actually when we thought about it, Dolly Parton is an amazing philanthropist um, and incredibly generous with her time and money for charities, so uh, we thought it was quite apt. Amazing. Um, and actually just on that, because we haven't actually mentioned this, you were doing the challenge to fundraise a lot of money for, if you name the three charities, I do know yeah. them, but. <laughs> so, uh, Cancer Research UK, Macmillan and the Royal Marsden Cancer Charity. And was that because during your cancer journey, they they had a real true meaning to you and your family? Yeah, and also um, Millen were wonderful. Just before I was diagnosed, um, they came. They they were very very uh, wonderful with my granddad who who died of cancer. Um, so yeah, they've had a, a huge impact on me and and with family. Um, so yeah, we've been raising money for them. And actually, all of our engagements that we do, um, 
we uh, we ask for them to donate to one of the charities. So we're still we're still uh, fundraising as well through that, which That's is great. That's awesome. Because you're over, is it over sixty thousand pounds, which is absolutely yeah. incredible. I think we're actually around like eighty five. We're at yeah, 85. amazing. Okay, so um, on to the next quick fire question. Um, what was the best? Because I saw, I know you listened to some audiobooks or podcasts when you were on the challenge. Which one was your favourite to listen to? Um, I really like Treasure Island. Um, yeah, Treasure Island for me. What is that? Just a quick summary of what is Treasure Island? It's Robinson Crusoe. It's where they go out sailing looking for the treasure and then they get stuck on an island and they find the guy. But I think because it had the, the, the kind of sea theme and pirates which you know we we joked about on the boat um it, it just it felt felt like the right thing to to listen to whilst rowing yeah that sounds great um so what was your best memory of the challenge um probably too many um and all very varied um best memory one of them is just the milky way um there were a couple of nights where it was so clear and vivid it was incredible and um Abby and I were rowing we just sort of we did lay back although Charlotte gets annoyed when, when we tell her that we did this um but we just leant back for like five minutes and just stared at the sky because it was just incredible um also you know the the pod of um of whales of minky whales just oh, wow. under the boat round the boats sort of you know in in the sea just beautiful similarly with dolphins but one of my favorite moments very benign is we used to have sort of power ballad hour um which i kicked off um at night and so we would sort of blast out like pat benatar or something and it would be really loud there's no one around you and it would be dark and we'd just be rowing and singing along really loudly and i that that was just magical for me I feel like I was just there with you. Do you know when you're just explaining that? Like I could, I could see it, the stars and the night and the rowing. Oh, I bet it was just like nature at its best. Like you like you say, you're one of the very few to ever probably experience something like that, which is amazing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's the other thing about doing that row is that we would often say to each other, what a privilege because yeah. how many people get to be in this spot right here in, in the Atlantic you know how many people have particularly when we got in the boat to clean dolly you'd be like how many people have swam right here like probably none yeah probably none yeah which is yeah when you can be one of the first people to do something like that it's just yeah, yeah. absolutely amazing makes you definitely i know because it was so hard appreciate life but being in that moment just taking yourself back to it must be yeah an amazing sense of achievement but also just yeah so inspiring for everybody else to listen to um so last last question um if you do have one because I asked some people this question they're like oh I didn't even think about that do you have a quote or a mantra that you live by oh do you know um I don't really other than like you know try and be happy like I know it's it's not a quote but it's just you know I think every day I get up it's like well I can choose to get up in a bad mood and I can choose to be in a good mood. And I just think you've got to be having a laugh, you know, otherwise there's no point. And, and I think that at work, I say that to my team, you know, if we're not having fun as well, you know, then, then what's the point? So be happy and have fun. I love that. Simple, but inspiring. Thank you so much for your time today, Kat. It's been wonderful to chat to you. And I know we could have chatted for hours, but I think that, this is such an inspiring episode and I think that people can take so much from your extraordinary challenge, but also the simple steps of how you get yourself to do something like you did. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. So has anybody quickly gone to their web browser and started to Google what challenges can I take part in the next year? I think that was the podcast that just made you literally just want to go and book up and sign up for a challenge. Because although Kat and her team have done something absolutely extraordinary, it she just broke the challenges down of, you know, rowing 3,000 miles to actually be a really simple step-by-step -step process of having never rowed before, to signing up to a club, to getting in her first boat, to breaking down the training, to doing it while diagnosed with cancer and going through treatment as well. 
and then to actually complete the challenge in a new world record. Absolutely amazing. But I think often you hear about these big challenges that people take part in and they don't actually break it down into what that step-by-step process is of when you first take that first step and set the goal. And what I loved about what Kat said was that she signed up for the challenge before she'd even ever rode before. And I think that in itself is a great learning that sometimes having that sense of purpose, having that bigger goal, then commits you to something. And we don't have to all do these incredibly big challenges. You know, challenges mean something different for everybody. Like not everybody wants to physically go and, you know, row an ocean or climb a mountain because that's just not up your street and that's absolutely fine. But I think it's really important, like Kat said, to find a sense of purpose, having that live in the moment, giving yourself the permission to go and do what you want to do because ultimately life is too short and, you know, we want to make the most of it but we want to make sure we're present as well and able to just switch off and relax and and be okay with that. So I think um, it's really hard to summarize that episode. And me and Kat had another 20, 30 minutes of conversation afterwards, which I would have loved to record. Um, And we just spoke, I thought what she said about the team was really powerful. And I think we can really learn. Often you look at businesses and organizations and how teams are built, employees and you know, challenges like cats on how important that is. But I've never heard somebody break it down like Kat did in terms of understanding each other, how you work, how you respond to certain situations, um, how life can be or their journey can be really unpredictable. And that can, you know, that can transfer to daily life. And actually, we can maybe take some learnings from what she said there to our family and friends and how important communication is. And then when you have that communication, when you have those boundaries, then how important trust, how easy trust becomes. So it's easier to trust somebody when you've got clear, transparent communication. You know what they thrive on. You know when they need their quiet time. You know when stressful situations or really hard times, what they need, because you've had those conversations. And I actually think that that was one of the most powerful things I took from this conversation. And I just, I think it's just an amazing episode. So if you do have any feedback um, or just some thoughts to share, please share it on our social media or pop us an email because we'd love to know how our episodes are really sitting with you, what you're taking from them, what you're learning, because that's the reason we're doing this podcast. It's all for you. It's all to share stories like cats so that you can at least take one thing into your own life, hopefully be inspired um, and hopefully take maybe your first step into something new for you so thank you so much for listening and don't forget we're not very good at this but don't forget to download the podcast or subscribe because it really helps us to monitor who's listening who's downloaded who's interested in the stuff that we we bring to you on a weekly monthly yearly basis through this podcast so thank you so much for all your support um, and we really hope you enjoy this episode 